welcome back to Cast Me to Hell with me, Seb. And with me, Robbie. And here we are in episode 44 and a continuation of our January Dumping Ground episode from last week. And this is also um, the first, well, the first time in a long time that we're trying to do this over video call as well. Um, the last time we did one over video call, um, I believe it was another lost episode. I think we were also doing From Dust Till Dawn then. Um, so fingers crossed that we've actually successfully got this out. Um, and yeah. we will find out. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we, we've got we've got the, the video going, we've got the voices going. I don't know if you just saw me a second ago. I literally lifted up my headset to just double check that the sound is not coming through the computer screen as well, because that was the problem last time. We had reverb yeah. of the sound going round and round. That was my fault. I put my headphones in, then I decided, nah, I don't want these in. I took them out, like, partly <laughs> in the first couple of minutes, because I was like, oh, I don't like this. Took them out, and then realised, oh, yeah, the, I'm hearing Rob in the speaker, and I'm also hearing, and therefore everyone's hearing me twice in the whole yeah. episode. Or everyone's hearing Rob twice, I mean, in the whole episode. <laughs> so, it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a mess-up. So, yeah, our sound quality this week might not be quite as clear as normal, because I'm pretty much on my laptop mic, not the best. Rob's doing it through his headset, um, but we've also, at the same time, would normally be on your fantastic snowball, which is far better sound quality than this. Definitely. Right. And um, we'd be in person as well, so it's kind of... We were It's, it's be a bit person. of an interesting one, because you've obviously, I mean... If, if you follow us on Twitter at CMTH Podcast, we have announced that, unfortunately... Um, Seb has got the 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 COVID nineteen. Um, I have indeed. So I, I would be um, I would be infecting you right now if we were recording. This. <laughs> I would, yeah. would be. I'd be. It's it's like an hour and a half of breathing into your face because we're normally our setup is we are literally sat like even I'd probably say a, set, a large centimeter ruler is about where we're, <laughs> yeah. you know about one of those big 30 centimeter rulers about is like the standard school kind of one is about yeah it's very cozy out. isn't it yeah, yeah, so we're normally cozy. right there next to each other. Um, and now we just put we I put my hat to the screen. <laughs> yes, Robbie, um, Rob is probably feeling a sad distance. He probably he, he, he like he likes his hugs and his cuddles. <laughs> um, yeah, a very physical man. Um, well, I mean, I guess we'll we'll just <clears throat> jump straight into it. So last week. Um, if you didn't uh, kind of check out the episode on Madman from 1982, we're looking at the what we've kind of coined, or I don't know if we've coined it, but you know we're calling it for a secret for a series, uh, the January Dumping Ground. Um, last year, this was the lost episode, which kind of went. We did um, the you know from dusk till dawn, which we'll be talking about today, and the stepfather. Um, and last week we did about Madman from 1982, um, and we're kind of looking at these films that kind of they, they don't release in when you you know these are predominantly horror films they don't release in the kind of later part of the year october november expect most horror films to come out and they kind of they obviously don't come out in the summer you know where the big blockbuster periods are so they're just kind of thrown out um potentially left out to die a little bit in the january dumping um, yeah. So last week we did Madman and we looked to that and we kind of decided that, yeah, that probably deserved its place in the January dumping ground, didn't we? 
Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, as you as you mentioned, these are these lost, lost films that kind of no studio knows how to market them or look after them. And Madman was right there in kind of did it deserve? And we were just like, yeah, kind of. We found it to be it's an obscure horror. Um, so a lot of people don't know what it is. I think even when we've advertised our most recent episode, some people might have gone, what, what was that? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it, it's a very strange film. And although we enjoyed some kills and stuff like that, in general, we decided it just isn't a strong enough film to say it's not deserving of its place in the dumping ground. Yeah. Um, so this week, uh, instead, we go from madman <laughs> to some med- mad men <laughs> uh, in um, Robert Rodriguez's uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. And we're taking a jump to the 1990s, aren't we, as we go to 1996. Um, and this is this was was this the first team up from them or was this one of the because obviously Quentin Tarantino wrote this film. You can tell that, you know, he's he's got quite a heavy influence in there. Um, Robert Rodriguez is obviously known for making these kind of they're not completely kind of B-movie films but they're, 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 they're fairy stylized in the way in which he makes them. you know, he, he does fall into kind of being an auteur, doesn't he? You know when his hands have been on the film um, and it is a very you know, heavy film with a lot of the kind of Rodriguez style in it um, but I don't know. Was this the first film that they kind of made together? I don't know. I I believe. Yeah, I believe from Dust Till Dawn is the first of their kind of team ups, and I think it is the most close of a team up because they didn't really, they haven't really teamed up in the same way again. They've done. They did their um, Death Proof and Planet Planet Terror. Planet Terror. Planet Terror. Um, kind of the Grindhouse that, thing. Yeah, it was kind of working together, but it was like separate directors making separate films, you know, separately their own kind of visions for a kind of grindhouse kind of cinema. But I don't think that they've done a movie like this before, especially where Tarantino was the writer. I mean, although he's written several several things in the past that he hasn't directed, uh, it's normally a case of what he writes is what he makes kind of thing. Yeah. Um Rodriguez is kind of all over the place. He's a producer. He's a he's a writer. He's a, a director. He, he works on a lot of different areas. Um, because this was even uh, one of Rodriguez's earlier films, and it was Tant- Tarantino's earlier kind of where he'd actually been picked up to do something. Um, because Rodriguez uh, obviously had done the uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico kind of trilogy. Yeah. Um, well, so I'm trying to remember which is the first part of that so i know we did was it el mariachi which was the first one yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah um, and in 1992 he made that so a few years before this one yeah uh, so um, it was el mariachi desperado and once upon a that time in it. mexico were the three yeah. of that trilogy once upon a time mexico came after I believe Desperado, I think might have still been because that was had old good, Des- good old yeah, Antonio, Desperado was Antonio yeah. yeah. So before this one, um, and then obviously where, went on to fa- um, the faculty. I always forget that he directed that. Um, yeah, he yeah, that later. yeah. He because he's got yeah he's got a cool kind of style he brings to it. You know, we can move like say Scream a, a couple of weeks ago because that was a Kevin Williamson written film. Um, and he also he brought, a, you know, we've both said that we're both big fans of that film. Um, 
because yeah. it was a kind of alternative. But Rodriguez has always had a kind of a fun that he can bring to a film, a kind of stylized yeah. eye. I wouldn't necessarily say that he's an auteur the same way that Tarantino is. Tarantino is very obviously recognizable, um, whereas Rodriguez can sometimes have a bit of a different style to the way yeah. his films are directed. Um, you know, we are big fan, a big fan of Spy Kids. <laughs> his, yeah. Uh, his work in that. Yeah, I guess uh, saying that, thinking about that, you know. Uh, but yeah, I definitely say though that yeah, although Tarantino's visual style might be more like that, Rodriguez, Rodriguez is still just as mainly consistent director as Tarantino. I don't want to say that Rodriguez is just more willing to take some risks. <laughs> yeah, potentially. But when you look at his, when you look at his, uh, you know what he's directed. Obviously, this kind. I mean. From Dust Till Dawn itself is a kind of strange hybrid of a film, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's an action and it's a horror film, but it's also um, does find into that grindhouse thing. It's got a lot of kind of cameos from people, um, and yet again, I mean, I remember when we did this um, around this time last year, we were kind of talking about George Clooney at the time. Was I? I try to remember if he was still doing ER time or not yeah but yeah he, he wasn't was. quite you know this was one of the films that kind of helped launch him in a way wasn't it oh yeah yeah this was seen as a completely kind of you know he was seen as the like he was like the heartthrob he was the tv heartthrob like the big yeah. tv heartthrob and um yeah this is this is the one that kind of blasted him off because it was like oh he's more than just he's more than just the good looking guy not that he's not yeah. a good-looking guy in this film. He is, you know he's I mean? a sexual man. He is a sexual man, but he, he's not quite as, you know, he, he has a darker edge here. He gets to have a bit more fun being a, it may be in a, a film that people wouldn't expect of Clooney at that time when he was the big ER doctor, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just... Juliet Lewis is, is was kind of... This was around the same time that kind of Juliet Lewis was kind of ex- in a way she was kind of exploding because i remember her being in this in the 90s she obviously she did um from dust till dawn she did um cape fear and then she did natural born killers as well amongst kind of of other things obviously um but yeah uh, well natural born killers yeah. actually came before this one that was 1994 oh, yeah. so she was but she was very much almost she was pretty much peak at this time of this kind of just looking at her anyway, she kind of always had this darker edge to her, Julia Lewis. Yeah. And she was kind of peak teen to be like, it was either her or Christina Ritchie for 90s, you know, kind of, if you want a yeah. twisted kind of child, it was probably Christina Ritchie or Julia Lewis, who you were yeah. looking at. Um, yeah, like, um, as I say, like Tarantino, like he hadn't written, he because he also wrote the story for Natural Born Killers. So there's a link there between why certain cast members are in both films of Tarantino films and they're also in this film. He'd done Pulp Fiction, obviously, True Romance, you know. um, Yeah. You know, another great... So a lot of these kind of... You can see where these are all very Tarantino, dark, gritty, but with a kind of black comedy edge to them. Yeah, there's always a strange humour to kind of Tarantino stuff, isn't there? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, so he'd, he'd done a couple of films that he hadn't written by that point. Um, that I think he'd kind of been he'd been asked to direct some of these films, but 
at that point he just wasn't in the space. So I've, I think after Reservoir Dogs hit, he didn't really want it to be. Um, he he didn't want to take a chance that he wasn't making. He was waiting for the the script that he'd written that was really like, oh no, this is the film. So I mean, like yeah. this is it. After Re- I mean, and Pulp Fiction. So Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. I think he kind of decided like a lot of these scripts. I think were all written around the same time. Although Pulp Fiction was released in 1994 and Natural Born Killers, he'd written the scripts, but they weren't really like they weren't the film that he decided. Oh no. Like Pulp Fiction is the yeah. one, but then after that, I want something different, and I don't want to be stuck in that same gritty gangstery kind of. That's why he went on to do so. Still gritty and gangstery, but Jackie Brown after this, which is a little bit yeah. different. And then you know, and then he took a big break before Kill Bill. So you know, Tarantino yeah. is all over the place. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the nineties and early two thousands, I mean, he was pretty much like the biggest the like go-to, go-to guy to, yeah. for these kind of indie flicks if you will yeah i mean it's got a relative it's got a relatively good size budget i think i mean like wikipedia's got its budget being at 90 million um so yeah. i mean it's a it's a hefty budget when you compare it to the <laughs> i think it was three hundred fifty thousand, maybe that madman had back in 1982 yeah, it's yeah. definitely yeah it's definitely got a bigger budget um and it went on to make 59.3 million um and obviously, it kind of oh, came underperformed. Out to be, it underperformed, yeah. But then again, it's it's kind of it's a strange horror action mashup that's released in January. Oh yeah, you know? this this film was completely. Um, I, I remember this is. I don't remember because I was like four or five years old. Yes. <laughs> but I, I remember. I remember like what from what I know of it. I know that this film was completely sold under that Tarantino. It had Reservoir Dogs. It had Pulp Fiction. It was basically sold as if this was directed by Quentin Tarantino. You know, uh, Robert Rodriguez, although big, the Desperado El Marachi, although they were were like hits, they were much more kind of South America kind of hits. You know, I mean, not North America kind of worldwide. So it was Tarantino was the one all over these posters and and George Clooney. Yeah, Mr. George. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the, the opening of the film kind of is quite Tarantino-esque in its way, I think. Um, you, I mean, obviously he wrote it, so his fingerprints are going to be all over it. But the, you know, when when it opens up in the in the um, in the liquor store with the Greco Gecko Brothers, that's it. Um, oh, yeah. That's a, such a Gecko. good scene. <laughs> yeah, and when I, and when I watched it. Um, I always forget that this scene happens. I'm not sure why. I just always forget that it opens up with them in the liquor store and they're not even in it first. They're kind of obviously both in the in the toilet or wherever they're hidden. And I completely forget that it kind of opens up with uh, the liquor store owner, Pete or someone like that. And there's random people. And then, you know, he just gets shot out of nowhere, you know? Um, yeah, it's because, um, yeah, Pete, yeah, John Hawkes is the actor who plays yeah. him again, who completely caught me off guard because he's, you know, he's a fairly known kind of character, kind of actor that went on from this in this like little role. And I was like, oh, I recognize that guy. But yeah, I completely forget. I mean, I think this is one of those, fi- this is one of those things. So 
as we're like talking about it as the like the January jungle ground and stuff like that and why studios found it hard to market I can completely understand why people would find this film hard to market because like you said I I forgot when I rewatched this film that literally I only remembered really the the vampire part of the film you know the titty yeah. twist <laughs> As you've yeah. got uh, Rob as a background, as we were, like record this with video as well for people who can't see it, uh, who are <laughs> listening, and it's got Trinity Twisters right there, so it's, it's burned into my brain right now. Um, so but... We have to remember that uh, we have to get rid of it in case I have any work Zoom meetings because there was <laughs> <laughs> I put um, <laughs> I, I once did a Zoom call for someone's birthday in lockdown and I changed my name to Big Fat Hog um, and then I did a Zoom meeting for work and it came up as like do you want to join the meet it, it basically said my name was Big Fat Hog and I managed to just change it just before anybody <laughs> noticed <laughs> Well, I, yeah I've got the same problem I this is my this is my school laptop <laughs> So, yeah. and, and we do a weekly um we do a weekly like celebration at the moment because we don't do assemblies together we do a weekly like celebration yeah. over zoom so if i don't if i forget to change cast me to hell off of my background which is what's appearing right now um i would literally go into the meeting with the kids not being able to see anything but just cast me to hell and obviously <laughs> it's better than the teachers <laughs> it's better than titty twister but i'd still think i'd get some questions off the teacher like why is well, off the head teacher why is that on your background yeah. with an animated <laughs> you fighting off zombies with school children. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. anyway, back to the, um, the, the what, what I was kind of saying was, as like, as you said about not remembering a part of the show, like, I didn't remember the opening. I don't remember much of the build-up. I just remembered that kind of when it actually kicks off, which is actually a lot later in yeah. the film than I remembered. But it's also interesting that it's like, you can totally see, as you said before, this is like a hybrid of like a, a black comedy, a, 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 an action film, a, a vampire horror film. It's it's a lot of things processed into one. So I completely understand why for a 90 million, million budget film, why this would have actually been. Yeah. How do we sell this? Are we selling this as a George Clooney action film? Are we selling this as a horror film, a 90 million uh, budget horror film? I, that's unusual at the time. So you can tell why they probably sold it as action and pretty much sold it as you know here's action here's salma salma hayek looking like that come and watch looking it boys like, yeah yeah but not probably not selling it sorry i said 90 million a second i meant 19 million 90 million is yeah. way you know but still 19 <laughs> yeah, million yeah, was still imagine? fairly you know not for, not necessarily for a horror film but yeah in the in that time it was still 19 million was quite high even in the 90s for a, a horror film you know what i mean yeah, and it's yeah. it's like you said. I mean, we open up with this kind of strange, and it does. It has that kind of dark humor that Tarantino has, and it, Tarantino's humor is it's not like laugh out loud kind of stuff, is it? It's, it's not like comedy. It's not like punchlines or anything. But it it's like making these strange situations that you would expect to be kind of extremely tense, kind of having these characters who are slightly larger than life in it you know so i the one that always springs to mind is pulp fiction at the start with julius you know um because that if if julius had been played straight and hadn't been you know given lines that were you know that were or given dialogue hadn't been played in that way 
it would have come off as just a really tense scene. But when you watch it back, it's kind of like this is tense, but it, there's also this strange kind of humor there, you know. And it's enjoy. He, he makes scenes that are, are very easy to watch. I find, you know, um, yeah, off the couch and well. He's good with exposition scenes that would normally be boring and normally yeah. be like, oh, we're setting up who these brothers are. But instead, instead they kind of tell it through the brothers having this kind of mid-gunfight conversations and stuff, kind of selling that they're not the best of guys, that they're the Gecko brothers. That We kind of get that information, the very quick burst between John Hawke's shop, uh, shop assistant or whatever he is, Pete, yeah. kind, of, kind of, you know, people blasting back at them. Um, and I, I, I love it. I also, I absolutely love the way that I feel sorry for him because it's like, well, he's not really, he's not a bad guy in any way. Like it shows these guys is also, we straight away know that the Gecko brothers are not really good guys because they off hit that peak character in a pretty horrific way. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. And it's such a, a cool death, man. You know, they're just suppressing fire here, shooting all of the bottles behind. And then George Clooney like lights the toilet paper on fire and chucks it back. And yeah, it's just such a. Yeah. It, it, I I'm not sure how I completely forgot about it because I always remember watching this film loads with my brother Dan, kind of early two thousands. I always remember him saying, "Oh, from Dust Till Dawn's on like this channel," and it would be on really late. And I always remember the it, it in my mind. It's almost like the film started when they got to the titty twister yeah, you know? yeah. and i that, completely forgot everything else i think maybe it's because again i hadn't really revisited this film in a very long time before we watched it um and i i remember thinking yeah about that part but that's probably because that's the part that kind of sticks out in your mind especially at your early pre-teens that's probably why you're only yeah. remembering Salma Hayek looking like that and you're only remembering so, yeah. vampires and battling yeah. vampires but you don't remember the nuance the kind of nuances that we have early in the film to kind of set up these characters um, yeah. we have we have certain that Tarantino we know is good at you know and also Rodriguez is also very good at kind of showing character and Tarantino's good at explaining character and giving us likable kind of characters that might be a bit different but we kind of enjoy following them and yeah the, the literally literally about i i think i remember saying like um it was we i didn't count this time but i know a, a year ago in our last episode the um we said it was about, I swear it was about 40 odd minutes until they actually, yes, 40, like 50 minutes until they actually get to that point. So it's amazing how much you kind of forget that a lot of it, they build the characters before the characters get trapped in this impossible situation. Yeah, way before. Because obviously we open up with this, the scene in the, um, in the liquor store. And then we go, I believe then we go over to, is it the motel where... We have um, Harvey Cattell, uh, Julia Lewis, um, and I can never remember the actor's name, but I know I know the character's called Scott. It's very strange that I remember, <laughs> <laughs> I remember the character's name, but not him. Um, yeah. I even, it okay, Is it the prick, Harvey Keitel? No, it's not Harvey Keitel. It's the, um, his, his son. Oh, oh the right. Asian. The Asian, the Asian boy, I guess. We'd the Asian boy. Uh, the Asian boy. Um, I can't remember his name. Ernest Lin. Yeah, I wouldn't remember that either. 
yeah there's gonna say there's a lot of there's a lot of actors who are like oh i know them in this film but, but then there's Ernest Lou, who I don't know from, I can't think of anything else I know him from. <laughs> he doesn't have a Wikipedia page, funnily enough. So yeah, I don't so know whether this maybe was the last film he ever made. <laughs> the first and the last. He was like, "I'm not yeah. doing that again." I, also, I could, I couldn't stop laughing a second ago because, um, again, on the video with your teeth twisted background, as you leant back, it was basically like you were cupping, <laughs> cupping <laughs> the, the side for the teeth twisters. I was just laughing as you were talking. Um, yeah. So I think to, to kind of, I'm going to kind of jump to the main kind of areas that I kind of remember and I think are good talking points before we get into the big craziness yeah, yeah i kind of think that. that that's the bit that as we said that's the bit people remember that's the meat that people kind of want if you if you haven't seen it you go and watch it because i i love i love the character building i think that that's what makes this a good film is that we we get to know these characters or love hate these characters in a certain way there's yeah there's, there's a certain like there's a certain way especially tarantino's uh is it seth or am i mixing up the characters is it seth it's or richie seth richie seth is um George Clooney. Clooney, Mr. George Clooney. Yeah, okay, yeah. so there you go. I, I mix that. Richie. We've had a lot of characters called Richie in, in our. We had a yeah, Rich, but... we had a Richie in Scream. We have a Richie in Mad Men, and we've got a Richie <laughs> in From Dust Till Dawn. And they're always <laughs> weird, aren't they? They're always, <laughs> they're always weird. weird. They're always weird characters. Yeah, they're a bit like creepy, odd kind of oddballs, or with yeah. slight kind of dark humor about them. Yeah, uh, except for Madman's Richie, he was just fucking weird. <laughs> Madman, yeah. Mars, Madman, Mars. Mars. <laughs> he was a skulking. Yeah, but um, anyway. I think I think the key, the key character that we kind of really get to kind of we get to know that uh, George Clooney's Seth Gecko is, although he's kind of uh, he's kind of like that teetering bad guy. He's kind of like not fully a bad guy. He's like an anti-hero almost in this film. He's He's a, mix, yeah. he's a mixture of that kind of like he does bad things, but he also knows the line where not to cross certain lines. And that's yeah. that Richie definitely doesn't know. And he's a problem. No, <laughs> well, well, they play. I mean, Tarantino is, um, is he's, he's a bit of a he's quite an eccentric guy anyway, isn't he? you know. Um, and I think the way in which he plays Richie there's just something about him that just adds another layer of kind of creepiness, I think. Um, I mean, the one scene that comes to mind for me is when he's staring at Juliette Lewis's feet, you know? And I know there's that there's that thing online about how, you know, um, Tarantino loves feet, and he probably does, and I, you know, it's, it's not the worst king to have, I guess. It's a, you could have it I if think, you want, but... Yeah, I think that's a fairly well-known kind of uh, thing that he's into. I mean... Especially Uma Thurman's feet in anything he's had, a, like he always seems to have a shot of a foot, like in quite a yeah. lot of his. Not every single film he does, no, but in quite a lot of them he has this kind of long shot. It's almost as if, it's almost as if that's the one scene where he took over from Rodriguez. Like I'll get this one, I'll get right yeah. deep into <laughs> yeah. this one, I'll dig on it. I got this. Yeah, it's just uh, Robert Rodriguez looking for the script. He's like, there's a lot of talk of feet in this. In this film, yeah, it's like, it's, like it's, it's 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 you know it's imperative to the story that I lick Salma <laughs> Hayek's feet. <laughs> yeah, it's very important that I see all of their feet. Literally, in the script, as it says, an extended forty to fifty minute shot of foot. <laughs> yeah, and then Robert Rodriguez has said is like, 
okay, maybe if we have 40 to 50 seconds. And he's yeah. like, oh, well, I guess. Can we do like the 40 to 50 minute one and I'll keep the footage and you just keep 40 yeah. to 50 seconds? Yeah. He's very strange, man. Um, he is, but that's, that is, you're right, it's what adds to the character. He looks... He looks thin and pale. He looks like he has those. Um, I believe it's in it's in Deadpool two or something where he says you've got those kind of you've got those pedo lips or those you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's got all of that working for him in this film, and he's just I don't know what he is if he's meant to be played up as he's definitely played up as some kind of psychopath. Yeah, he doesn't he, seem well, to understand like these boundaries in his head. He can't stop. Yeah, but he gets a lot of kind of hallucinations or potentially hallucinations of you know interpreting people saying different things and stuff like that you know particularly the scene that i think you're probably eager to talk about is the is in the motel room when they've kidnapped that when richie has just kidnapped that random woman you know um yeah. and it's the way in which he just kind of he interprets things you know um and they definitely you know they play up that he's He's got some kind of condition, don't they? Um, yeah, they, they play, yeah. It, it's kind of like that old, like, uh, of mice and men, like Lenny, kind of like <laughs> he, he, he's he's George Clooney's Seth's Lenny. He has to look after him. He has to care. But I think in that motel <laughs> scene, it's like as if it's the early stages of that, and he didn't quite realize. Isn't how... Lenny the one that gets shot? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Rich, he's Richie's said... the Lenny, not Rich George Clooney. I thought you no. said that's the thing with doing it on, over video. <laughs> yeah. I thought you said Seth is Lenny. I was like, oh, no, what's his actual name? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, over this video kind of style, there is always that little bit of a. We're better than we were last time we did this, Rob. Last time we had loads of big pauses. We're like, who's talking next? Like we're, we're yeah. doing better than we were. Um, Definitely. But but no, the whole Lenny thing is no. I'm talking about Richie. Like like the Lenny has Lenny in that story has to be like cared for and looked after really yeah. closely by his brother because he doesn't realize how bad his actions are. And I feel like we've got a little bit of that with Seth. And but the motel scene is almost you see the realization when he when Seth walks back into the motel after he's left him. Like, he didn't actually expect him to be as bad as he is. Yeah. And I love that we don't see anything, do we? We just see... It. No, we, we just kind of see Seth's reaction to it, really, and him, his kind of realisation that he needs to do something. And I think the difference is kind <clears> of... <throat> they did, They have that kind of... Um, is it George in from Mice and Men? Who's, yeah, it's George um, and Lenny. Okay, yeah. yeah, the way in which they, they kind of have that relationship but Lenny is a is almost a good person you know who just yeah. doesn't who just doesn't realize and you know doesn't understand boundaries and stuff like that whereas Richie kind of is a, <laughs> is a bit sick as well and is a bit kind of oh yeah it's yeah, almost yeah. like he enjoys the violence in a strange way you know um, yeah that's what i'm saying it's like more like as if it, it, it's it's this if lenny was like a psychopath basically because yeah. lenny is more he he in in that of my cement story he has the struggle of he, he doesn't quite know his own strength that's what leads him into problems he kind of you know he's 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 got very like uh, special needs kind of problems that like he has yeah. to deal with whereas this is more this isn't the same but it's it's a comparison like kind of that 
there's that psychopath who Seth has to look after and kind of keep at bay. And he has to keep his brother at bay. He has to keep watching an eye on his brother. Throughout the film, he's kind of got an eye on his brother. Um, yeah. And, and like you said, that scene, what is so good about that scene is that although we get some kind of shots, we, we don't see Seth, uh, sorry, Richie, we don't see Richie kill her. Um, yeah. You see like the build up to it and you know something's bad here when he says like, come and sit next to me on the bed and watch this. You know, yeah. there's something wrong. You know, there's something bad's going to happen. You can tell he's a creep. Um, but it's also like strongly implied, not just that he's murdered her. Like you see a few flashes of blood in like parts of her body, but you don't actually see any gory parts like ripped open or stabbed. It's just no. blood bits. And then but there's also the the shot that I think is quite inclusive of what he's also done is that the way her legs are kind of parted. So it's kind of like yeah. he's raped and killed her, not just killed her. So it shows yeah. like how like how fucked up this character is. Yeah, it's kind of fucked, isn't it? Um, yeah. We get we get the we kind of get the same implication later on with uh, Juliet Lewis's character, don't we? You know, when Richie first meets her, it's you know we get this this kind of implication that maybe Richie interprets something around women and thinks that they want him. You know, it's so, the yeah, whole, well, the whole kind there's, of there's literally a scene where. Juliet Lewis is it you see what it's like in his head because he's literally as if she's asking him to like fuck me or something like that kind of thing there's yeah. literally there is a scene that shows like his head is seeing it in that way he sees everything in this kind of cut lines of it's either like it's almost like he sees that either fuck me or kill me and that's kind of what yeah. he kind of sees like <laughs> in his mind yeah. it's all about killing someone or and Seth is always having to hold him back in a way I think um, yeah, although he doesn't do it very well. <laughs> yeah, he lets him off the leash far too much. Um, yeah. yeah, so after that, we kind of get obviously they're on the run. They've, we we don't get it. We again in the exposition at the beginning, but it's it's not a boring exposition as we said. But we also know that they've robbed a bank. That's how they got the the, the bank teller lady in yeah. the back of their car. Um, the and meeting so they're, Carlos. Yeah, they're on the run, and then they end up in just to kind of cut to the the they end up with Harvey Keitel, Juliet Lewis, and and um, the I've already forgot his name again, Scott, <laughs> Scott, Scott in the in the the camper van, the RV, whatever you yeah. call it, motorhome. <laughs> yeah, the RV. Well, I yeah, I don't know what I know. I was struggling <clears throat> to call those things. I don't know if a motorhome is like a bigger one. Yeah, I don't, really I don't know. know. They end up I don't know the difference. <laughs> I, um, we 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 have a caravans more over here, and they're more you pull it along than inside driving yourself. So yeah, but then yeah, I don't know. I think motorhomes are maybe ones that you drive as well. Yeah, I think so. Maybe yeah. that's so. So this is more of a motorhome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and then I don't know. We kind. Of, I think once. Once we get to the bar, like you said, it is kind of about forty minutes. They, they have a moment where you know they feel it, it. They're close to getting kind of caught by the the border control as they go into Mexico, but once they get through Mexico, they kind of um, they just you know they they, they head to the titty, the titty twister, um, and then we're introduced to quite a lot of the characters. So obviously we get um, we get. Uh, Tom Savini's sex machine, who's absolutely class. Um, yeah. The the little winky gun is awesome, and the uh, a whip. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a very sexual outfit, <laughs> <laughs> but then sex machine. Um, and we get Frost, which is you know the the uh, the Vietnam Fred, veteran. Yeah, Fred Williamson. Yeah, Fred Williamson. Classic. Yeah, we get uh, 
obviously we have Cheech, who's um, the you know the uh, I can never remember what his name is, but he's the one who's outside going pussy. We got pussy. Well, um, he, he yeah, he plays like two roles in this film, though. He plays yeah, yeah he the does, one out doesn't. the front, and he plays so yeah, he, he plays the border guard. Actually, he's the border guard. He's Chet Pussy out the front. Chet so the, Pussy, that's he's it. meant to be like the he's the owner, isn't he? I think he's meant to imply that he's like an owner. I think he might be the owner. And then there's Carlos. I always thought, is I always Carlos the one that, he meets at the end. Yeah, Carlos the end, is the one he meets at the end. I always thought Chet Pussy was wasn't an owner, but was more like you know when you go up town. Or you go into like a you go uptown and then you're having like a few drinks and then there's somebody who's got like like a student who's got a flyer for like shots off like at movies. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I, I don't really know if so. it's just the fact that he's got such a late chet pussy at the titty twister just seems like the kind of person who he might yeah. be. He's he not might, really he made might... clear who owns this place in the film, so I don't know. It might be a stage name, you never know. Chet Pussy. Can't imagine anybody actually calling the child Chet Pussy. <laughs> I mean, you've got um, you've got like the house band, like Tito and Tarantula, as the titty twister yeah. house band. Um, so, yeah. And the, and Michael Parks as the Texas Ranger, kind of Il McGraw. But you've got all these like odd cat, and there's there's plenty of other ones that I don't know the name of. But the, the bar is packed full of random different characters that we kind of uh, yeah get to know, kind of thing as, as it goes on. There was. There's a fair amount of time that we kind of get to know, but straight away they're not in the good books as soon as they walk into Teach Westers. Well, they beat the shit out of Chet Pussy, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, they fill Chet Pussy, which obviously don't beat the owner up. <laughs> if he is the owner, don't beat the owner up. And then don't beat up the promo people. Imagine doing that. Imagine, like, you go, you go out with your friends for like a few drinks and then you're like walking through the streets and somebody's like, Oh, here's like, Oh, Hey guys, here's a free flyer for this club. And you beat the shit up and then you go to the club <laughs> and then they turn up and are like, Oh, those people beat the shit out. You're not just going <laughs> to like let that. They're not just going to be like, Oh, that's fine. You know, it's kind of a strange move. It um, is, but yeah. then I get it's the gecko brothers, isn't it? It I is. Think, it's part of their sure thing. Is it Richie who, it's, it is Richie. That, again, it, it's Richie getting them the shit straight away. It's it's him yeah. being a complete fucking pain in Seth's ass uh, by overdoing it, going crazy. And that's kind of what leads to, like, pretty quickly, they go and sit at the bar, but the bar fight pretty much is is kicking in pretty fast. Yeah. You know, because they're like, get this fucker out, because Chet Pussy <laughs> does kind of come back bar, like, all the, all the guys that were with him kind of come into the bar, and straight away they're into, like, a battle. I mean, it, yeah, it's well, not... Uh, well, we get a Selma Hayek sexy dance first, don't we? You do. As you're, like, walking in, you get the, you know, the... What is pretty much... Selma Hayek is pretty much... She wasn't a huge actress or anything at this time. So she's... Uh, not saying she's huge, huge, but she's a known actress. But Santa... Yeah. San, Santanico Pandemonium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as she does. So, yeah, we get that whole dance, which is, you know... A, any uh, any young lads of a certain age or or lasses of uh, lasses, yeah. like of uh, probably absolutely were loving this scene back then. Um, yeah, <laughs> if I you mean, were that... coming of age. This is a big scene for you, I'm sure. It was de- well, it was a sexual awakening for many people. I'm sure. You know what I mean? It's such a good dance, and, and then she pulls the shot into uh, from her foot, well, from her leg, and the uh, going down the toe into Richie's mouth, which you know was like you know yeah. Tarantino being like yeah that's happening 
Yeah, that's uh, or he just he just made her do that, and they just happened to be filming it, <laughs> and he was yeah. really insistent that they don't take that out. Yeah, he's um, like, get that foot in my mouth now. <laughs> yeah, um, but once the bar fight, because the bar fight happens, you know, um, and what and they're revealed to be vampires. Um, yeah, and then and it just goes crazy. <laughs> yeah, um, well, after that part, you know, the they and then Richie kills one of them, doesn't he? he shoots. Uh, he shoots whoever it is, and then they kind of reanimate and end up kind of, come back up, and then end up biting Richie. Um, yeah, which then triggers, you know, um, Salma Hayek to go to to kind of morph into the vampire, um, which sets off the whole kind of chain of events. And then it, it's the 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 thing about this film is it, it takes a long time to get to the point where. Um, shit kicks off basically and then everything kind of happens really fast so yeah it does so even yeah, it, you know as yeah as soon as they've uh, you know they've killed uh they've kind of they've killed some of the vampires you know because th- this is where the, the the blood and the guts really come out you know because everybody's getting slaughtered we get the i love the the transformations that they have i love how the vampires look in because they're kind of slightly reptilian aren't they um yeah yeah no it's really cool it it kind of matches the the kind of desert kind of yeah the the setting outside it it kind of matches that kind of desert setting that they're almost like a a vampire but a kind of reptile you know reptile or amphibian kind of monster kind of mix yeah um and then they you know they we we get these really cool kind of fight scenes The, the way in which i I I like the action in this film is it feels kind of seventies martial arts in a way, you know. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We ha- we get these people kind of squaring off at each other. Nothing is seems to be kind of overly elaborate, but you seem to get very quick action. Like I, I, the scene where Frost flips a table over um, and then very quickly starts throwing the vampire strippers onto it you know a lot of these sequences happen very quickly kind of show off these people's kind of cool individual moves um but it yeah again that the, you know the, that action scene kind of seems to happen quite quickly um and then we get yeah. you know we get uh you first man yeah so uh, i'm just gonna say like so Obviously, we we know that we know that uh, Tarantino's inspirations. He loves, he loves old karate, you know, kind of kung fu kind of movies. He loves black uh, black exploitation black exploitation films. Yeah, it's <laughs> a tricky word. Isn't it? um, and f- like say like Frost, Fred Williamson. He's he's quite known for his. He was a he's an American football star, but he's also quite known for his black exploitation cinema back in the day. Kind of some kind of like darker gang- like dra- dramas, but they were very lighthearted back then. So when I say darker, it was like at the time seventies. Darker was like you know like yeah the big throw and like coming in like. Who's this? Who's this motherfucker yeah. in my play? The, basically, yeah. what Samuel Samuel Jackson was doing in Pulp Fiction is um, yeah. what Fred Williamson kind of known for. Um, you know, um, well, so yeah. I mean, I've looked. I just looked at his Wikipedia. It is. It's you know, hammer that man I mean, bolt free the hard way. You know, it, it is. If you look at his it, picture, he's doing like a like a karate a kung fu kind of move <laughs> yeah like yeah i've just i'm just looking at them it, it, it is 
you know, they just give them all of these kind of like ridiculous kind of names and stuff like that. Although he was in the or the, I, I wouldn't say the original, uh, but you know, Inglorious, the Inglorious Bastards, you know, the the one from the seventies, um, yeah. and he, yeah, he, it kind of going back to what I was saying it kind of has this appeared um, on the screen yes it has this uh you know this very quick happening action um and these the set pieces in it don't feel overly elaborate or overly long if you look at like action films these days the set pieces are it's they seem to get bigger and bigger in terms of you know in the scope and in terms of what's happening within um Whereas this stuff is kind of one location, which is obviously the bar. Um, there's not, it, it's not as if we get, you know, a uh, 15 minute action piece with loads of stuff happening. It's, it's kind of quick shots and it's almost as if every of all the characters, such as Sex Machine and Frost, um, are given the chance to shine almost, you know. So they do something cool and then it goes to the next person who does something cool and it, it kind of plays up the characters in a bit of a way as opposed to what we kind of see more in a modern film, which is a lot more of a struggle within the kind of characters and set pieces being bigger and kind of the scope of it, you know. I'm particularly thinking, for instance, the, you know, Marvel films. Early superhero films often even the main battles kind of took place in one area as opposed to nowadays you get them kind of all over cities and just all over massive areas um, so the scope is quite small in its scope which a lot of the 70s action films kind of did you know yeah yeah much more contained as you said much more contained and much more kind of just and a little bit sometimes a little bit more about just like the interactions between the characters, like the hand-to-hand yeah. -hand kind of battles, instead of just you know they don't they don't have the extra spectacle. It is all about just the two characters battling, or or vampire versus you know uh, sex. Uh, I was about to say sex machine. It's not sex machine, is it? Yeah, it's it is sex, sex machine. It is sex machine. I, I thought you were uh, going to I'm... say sex man. <laughs> <laughs> My head was going through all kinds of things: sex heist, sex, <laughs> the sexpert, or whatever. It was. The sexpert. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it, I think the interest by is that um, although we had this big build up with certain characters, uh, to go to like the deaths of characters, Richie is off fairly quickly. Yeah, once it all shit, once shit starts happening, you know, he is off very quickly, isn't he? Um, he, get, he, he gets bitten, and like, I remember thinking that I was expecting him to get a much more violent death than he actually like did. You know, when he's yeah. kind of like often bitten, like like the way he's kind of like bitten in like his neck and stuff like I was expecting him to get something more violent or possibly kind of, you know, more he does he he returns later, doesn't he, as a as a reborn. A little yeah, he bit. Returns when, he returns in the in the you know, in the <clears throat> bit when they're kind of clearing out the titty twister before all of the bats come in. Um he, he and he get like I said, he gets killed quite quickly you know yeah yeah it's just the way his character was set up is such a creep and a horrible thing. I, I think he's one of the few ones where you want him to get a little bit more of a violent vulgar kind of death if you see what i mean yeah 
and yeah he doesn't yeah, quite you know, that doesn't quite come to much um obviously we get so sex machine gets off t- after they've had the whole battle and they're kind of before they get to the point when they're going to kind of just try to like they have to end up bordering themselves up when all of the you know as you said all the bats and stuff like that are coming in kind of thing you have well, that's the, it we see sex we see sex machines being uh, bitten um, after when they are boarding up the place and he kind of as we see he starts kind of forming whilst Frost is telling his story about what it was like in Vietnam you know um, we see Tom Savini who I'm guessing would have done the effects for this film probably or at least would have you know overseen it um, we see that his you know his he starts slowly transforming kind of in a comical way you know because it is like you know his hands, his his uh, nails start to get big, and then he hides his hands, and then you know his ears start, his, his teeth start, and he starts yeah. trying to hide it until Frost then kind of finishes his story, um, and he kind of I always remember that where he he just you know Sex Machine just sneaks up behind Frost and bites him, um, which then obviously causes uh, you know you know Frost to let the other the bats or the, the vampires outside it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I always remember that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I like, yeah, it's, it's a really cool. Uh, yeah. I love when, you know, when uh, very much when Frost uses sex machine to kind of like burst with it to kind of help them kind of escape. But then yeah. obviously, sadly Frost, Frost meets his maker as well. <laughs> Becomes a vampire too. And it, it's left us to, to Seth and Kate and Scott. Uh, to try and you know escape to the storeroom to try and survive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I love that scene when they get into the back room and they're basically what can we make weapons out of? Yeah, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> the stake mounted like on the on the on the drill pneumatic, pneumatic drill. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Crossbow. The super soaker with holy water. That's so yeah. cool. And, <laughs> and he fills the condoms up, you know, um, with holy water as well. That's so good. Um, and obviously, we find out that Harvey Cattell's been been bitten at that point. Um, and I think yeah. Harvey Cattell's, you know, uh, he's he's quite subdued in, in this film. I think you know we do we you know he he's a he's a he's a phenomenal actor. And I think in this film we get we do get the kind of subplot of his wife has died, um, and it's yeah. it's yeah. And he's I, I don't a pastor. Know, I, isn't he? He's, he's, a, a, pastor, he's a pastor, yeah. a priest, pastor. or whatever it goes by. I can't quite like remember exactly what the term was, but yeah. So he, he, I guess he is trying to be subdued because he's trying to be some kind of still slightly that kind of holy man. But I guess that's what yeah. is good for the arc that he suddenly has to be this person who's like fighting against well, demons, basically. <laughs> but kind well, of. the good part is he's kind of lost his faith almost, hasn't he? Yeah, um, and through you know through the through the kidnap of his family you know uh through all of this happening he has to have faith again has to you know rediscover that and yeah i think it is it is so it's it's a very strange film in it because like you said this these that's a really strong kind of subplot that you think well that could potentially be a driving force for a film itself but yeah you throw in bank robbers kind of try and then they have to survive the night and we get a lot of these kind of threads um which are, i think are really uh, the setup pretty well in the first part of the film um 
it's just some of the some of the closure, you know, particularly for for Harvey Cattell. Kind of just he kind of re- just rediscovers his faith and just says, "Well, if I start to become one of those things, make sure that you kill me." Um, yeah, and there's which, a little bit of the faith that, like, he has faith that maybe there'll be something more to this kind of thing. I don't know if it's yeah. because he he sees these vampires in some way. Maybe in his head he starts thinking, "Well, this is basically demons. So if there's demons, then maybe there's a maybe what I've believed all my life could actually be true. Maybe there is. If there's demons, maybe there's angels, or you know, if there can be yeah. vampires, then there could be something else out there in the world. Um, yeah. But yeah, but then at the same time, I guess one thing that I would slightly criticized about the film is that I do remember that although I like that it is like a good like it's quite slow and then it gets fast I know for some people who remember this film they would probably feel that the start of the film is quite slow um that yeah. for some people like I I, enjoy, I enjoyed it but I know some people would be like oh I thought this was a very different film than it was yeah and uh, I guess that could be a valid criticism of the film you know but I guess it yeah again it comes down to that this film is such a strange hybrid, you know. Yeah. Like definitely. we have so yeah, we have so many different kind of layers over it, you know, so many different kind of stuff. Um there is definitely that, the idea that it it doesn't fully that some some ideas don't fully get to form, maybe is that was where more where my criticism was going is that because the yeah. ending is so quick and we're quite quick to kind of go through the film and kind of get to closure, you know, they go into that room and then obviously they, they yeah. gather together. I love that little montage of like getting all of the stuff together. Always love a little montage in a film, you know, not a musical yeah. montage in this case, but you know, it's all kind of there. And then obviously we burst, they burst out to kind of battle and fights. Um, but yeah, but it is a little bit of that. It, it all kind of, although some of these ideas are there, it does feel like a lot is kind of stuffed in. And that ending becomes so quick that we don't always get time to really take it in. So even though we've built up some appreciation of some of these characters, I don't know if I fully would say, such as with Harvey Keitel's character, uh, you know, um, or even, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I necessarily like feel for the character because I don't feel like I quite got to, to feel it as much as I could have, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, think it... Maybe not for other people. No, I think I, I would agree. I think like it's a, I think it's a really kind. It's a really enjoyable film, and I think it is kind of it. A, a lot of the strong points are good. It's you know, it's very. Um, it it doesn't just follow kind of blockbuster or kind of follow its own thing. It has its own image, and it has it. You know, you can tell it's it's. Um, it's made with love, you know. You can tell it's a Rodriguez film, and you can tell it has those Tarantino-esque qualities in the writing. But I think because they kind, it's it's it seems as if they were like, okay, maybe let's make a film about bank robbers, and then somebody thought, well, why don't we make a film about vampires? And then they just tried to mix it together almost because once they get to the titty twister. Thing it just it happens very quickly, you know. Um, and we do we get a lot of characters that, for the most part, you don't really. Apart, I would honestly say, I would say, apart from Harvey Cattell's character, um, who yet again, I, don't, I would say, you particularly care about, but you find out enough about him for him to kind of be fleshed out as a character. Um, and apart from Seth, who is kind of is made by George Clooney's kind of. Charisma, Charisma, you know, the casting yeah. is great. 
But it's almost <clears> as if the, <throat> the characters themselves are quite, you know, one notish almost. Like Scott, we don't Scott Scott, we don't have any reason to particularly care about. Uh, yeah, I think he gets that... a great death, but we don't particularly care about him. Julia Lewis, his, his death scene's great. Like Scott's death yeah. scene to kind of jump on that death is like is really cool. The way he's, you know, he he kind of gets overwhelmed and kind of begs for death. You know, um, yeah, it's kind of it's Juliet Lewis's character who has to give that to him, isn't it? It's kind of like it's yeah. kind of a it's a bit heartbreaking for hers. Juliet Lewis, I think, is quite quite strong in this film. I guess that's why she kind of gets to be a survivor of this film. But maybe, you know, maybe, but. I don't know. But, I, I don't particularly have many strong feelings towards Julia Lewis's character. This, I mean, the, the, I forget what her name actually is. Kate. Um, Kate. I just keep referring to her as Julia yeah. Lewis. Um, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I guess um, Tarantino films um, and even some Rodriguez films, but Tarantino films especially, normally creates kind of iconic characters. Characters that you really remember. You know, even some of the smaller characters you remember there, like and I'd say that this is possibly, and maybe this is why he didn't direct it in some ways, maybe he wasn't completely there with it, but I feel like it's not as well-formed as some of his film's characters have been in the past. Yeah. Because I don't want to say, like you said, like George Clooney, like you said about his charisma, I don't want to say it's not so much that I like the character that he's made in Seth Gecko. it's the fact that I just think that George Clooney is at the height of what he was at that point. He was, you know, yeah. he was like a great leading man uh, at that point in time. Um, and I think that's kind of what comes through. I think Tarantino's good in what he does in the film. Um, yeah. I, I, even if it, I'm, I'm still certain it's just Tarantino playing himself. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't realise he was making a film. Um, um, I, and I don't want to sit here and, and as explain to you a whole battle of vampires, because it's not really so you no. can describe in words. It's, it's cool, you know, seeing them getting burnt up by the, the condom balloons of, and, yeah. you know, and coming out with that drill and literally blasting through a bunch of them. It, it, you know, it's, it's a really cool concept. Um, and uh, it does kind of have that B-movie-esque quality to it. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a very enjoyable film, but I think it's, oh, yeah. it's a film in two parts almost, you know, and I know that's probably stupid to say because most films are films in three parts, you know, but yeah. it, it is, it, I think if you were going into it and you were like, okay, I've heard it's a really cool B-movie B and, you know, it has these really cool elements, and it's vampires and stuff like that you might like you said earlier you might be a bit disappointed that the start of the film actually does go on for so long you know we we don't get we get until like 40 minutes before we get to the titty twister um and then what happens with the vampires whilst being really good and strong is also probably you know about 30 i'm, I'm trying to remember how long the film is um it's 108 minutes so you probably get about 40, 45 minutes of uh, when they get to the Titty Twister. And then the rest of that is probably vampire action. So if you were yeah. going into this hoping to have something that was specifically a kind of gory, over-the-top kind of one of the, you know, exploitation kind of 70s B-movies, you might be a bit disappointed by how, you know, how long the start is and then yeah, yeah it's kind it, of a tricky one. like we said yeah like i think like we said at the beginning like i i completely understand why this film uh was released kind of where it was because what we what i mentioned about like the marketing angle is 
I, I don't know how exactly they would have sold uh, this film because they, they either, I feel like they would have gone two ways. They've either sold it as a George Clooney, Quentin Tarantino action heist film kind of thing. Yeah. You know, or, or they've sold it as a vampire film. But because I feel like there's very much a good twist in here and I feel like they would have wanted to sell it. I feel like even Tarantino and Rodriguez probably wanted this to be like, oh, no, no. They think that they're watching a heist film. Yeah. And then the twist. And, and that's what makes it good. And that's probably the way they sold it. But it's kind of like, well, which one was more likely to get audiences in? And I feel like it was much more sold as the George Clooney Tarantino film than it was as the yeah. the vampire film or the Bat film. Yeah, this like, kind they of never, take you know, yeah, so so it is a little bit, and and this this film wasn't exactly well received. It it, it it's I mean it it it's received as okay kind of level. It's not actually the the reviews were quite mixed, where people were like, this was half of a great film. Like people kind of yeah. said that, like the first half, if they stayed with the Gecko Brothers and not turned it into the twist, they said, oh, this could have been a great kind of heist kind of film with a weird dynamic between two characters. Um, yeah. But then you've spliced in this 70s black exploitation vampire B movie into it, and suddenly it's something completely different, which we know that Tarantino and Rodriguez love, love anything grindhouse, anything B movie, anything yeah. of that era. They love the 70s, they love how weird they got with horror and action and kung fu yeah. and all of that. And they it's all kind of a little bit mixed in here, and it and it's a cool hybrid. Um, but then I don't know if I don't disagree that the weirdly probably could have been a better film in this film. I feel like yeah. the two films separated actually could have been two really cool, a really cool vampire film and a really cool heist film. And I feel yeah, like... Yeah, I think two, I agree with you on that. Where we haven't got a completely perfectly formed... I love the vampires and stuff, so, so I think it completely works as that B-movie format. But we haven't got a completely perfectly formed vampire film and we also haven't got a completely perfectly formed heist film. And I think that's no. why some some things end up coming out a little bit under what you'd expect. But that doesn't mean it's not enjoyable. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, I mean, so obviously we know that this came out um, in uh 1996 i think like you said um i don't want to go through the whole of the kind of end part because uh, it, we get some you know there are some real cool moments in there so sex machine kind of forming into that beast monster and then getting killed by seth is cool um you know scott's death where he can't kill um harvey cattell um and he's kind of set upon by them. And then Juliet Lewis has to put a bullet in there. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then when they get overwhelmed and they kind of, you know, decide to shoot the windows open, that kind of stuff, that's, that's all cool. And then, and then the film just kind of ends uh, before revealing that obviously the titty twister was built over in Aztec temple. Yeah. Um, I like that. I do enjoy that part. I, I find that part really cool because it's that whole thing of like, yeah, I and this is what you, from my understanding, you've got quite a lot with kind of 70s exploitation and these kind of B movie things. Is you get kind of an exploit, you know, you get kind of an explanation, but not enough to be not, it's not to sit there and go, but this is what happened, you know, this is everything. It's oh, just yeah. kind of like, oh, it's built on an ancient temple. That oh, yeah, like it's that, like that classic, know? um. Uh, like a lot of 70s like sci-fi kind of films or sci-fi horror films 
you get this kind of like end really dark twist ending where it yeah. kind of zooms out um for some reason the only one that is in my head is it's not actually a one it, it, it's a joke in like family guy where you know it, at the end it's meant to be like a 70s sci-fi and at the end it's like the only way to escape this is to kill yourself so she kills herself and then he rips off his face and it turns out that he was like an android as it like zooms out into this weird yeah 70s kind of synth music and it's just like yeah that's that's basically what these kind of 70s films were like they'd have this weird this twist ending which would probably leave you with more questions than it does planet answer. of the apes i mean planet of the apes oh, yeah. is a great example of that just seeing that it was earth all along and being like oh shit okay it was earth all along yeah and that's and it just ending instead of being like well it's however many thousands of years in the future, <clears throat> whatever happened it's just like oh it was always earth and then it just in the sand you know yeah just i know, mean like, we got what said that he says it was what was it he says in uh, planet of the apes damn you damn you all to hell <laughs> yeah it was so cool uh, yeah I always just think damn I can't remember it. It doesn't say damn nah, it. Just it says it in a different scene when he's being like captured. Um, but yeah, no, that, yeah. that is that is a great example. Well, that, that's the that's a far better in the one that came to my head. <laughs> yeah, uh, some, yeah, some family some random guy Family Guy reference uh, that I couldn't think of. You know, that was based on that was based on you know, kind of really weird seventies sci-fi. Um, but I think. Um, my, my train of thought just kind of went out my brain then, but no, that's all right. Um, <laughs> I you think, know, I think you first, man. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just gonna because you know, we speak about when would you release this? Um, so you know, I'm looking at the numbers.com, uh, and I'm looking at the years where you know, 1995 and 96, because I mean, if we look at um, if we look at no. October 95, you know, uh, we had Dead Presidents was out. Um, we had, um, it doesn't, to be, More Rats was out. Um, to be fair, that Vampire Brooklyn, uh, which obviously was a, you know, I think was a bit of a flop, but still. And then November, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, um, Golden Eye, uh, Casino. Money yeah. Train, you know, Toy Story as well, man. So you had a kind of stuff like that where obviously this film wouldn't go up against it. Um, if if we look at 1996, um, From Dust Till Dawn was actually the second most profitable film. So there was a film called Eye for an Eye, which came out January the 12th, and that made... Um, it made 26 million. Uh, From Dust Till Dawn came out on the 19th of January, made 25.7 million. Um, and then obviously we had like Don't Be a Menace. Um, yeah. If so we, we've, got, mean, yeah, we've got quite a variation out. of films. I mean, the other thing that kind of springs to my mind is, is as we said, like I, I mentioned about them not knowing how to market it, but the other thing that springs to my mind is this is Tarantino when. Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction had both been nominated for Oscars for screenplays and films yeah. and stuff like that. And it, it kind of makes you wonder whether the studio was like, oh, we've got a script by Quentin Tarantino. If we put it in January, it might be an Oscar contender. And then they actually saw and then they saw the film and were like, uh, well, we'll stick to the date. 
but it's not going to be a. It's not. This isn't an Oscar one. This isn't an awards kind of one. But because it was Tarantino, they kind of gave it the chance that maybe they'd start to look at it like, oh, oh, maybe he can turn horror films into an Oscar kind of horror, you know. And then they were like, ah, maybe not. But maybe yeah, not. I feel like yeah, it, there's a lot of things that could have been mixed around here. Um, I was also going to say what I was going to mention before was actually the um, that there are sequels to this film. Yeah, well, there's um, a sequel and a prequel, isn't there? Um, I've seen the sequel. I, I, oh, I haven't uh, seen. Which, I haven't seen any of them. Yeah, so. I remember I used to have them on. Uh, my brother used to have them on DVD. Um, the I know the the sequel. Uh, I believe is called From Dust Till Dawn, Blood Money. Um, and if I, I think I'm sure it follows a, a gang of um, yeah, it follows a gang. I know Danny. Danny Trejo's in it. Um, it has a he, Michael Madsen as well, doesn't it? I think a, another Tarantino yeah. regular, people like that. Yeah, I think he's in it as well. Um, and then we've—I can't remember what happens in it though. Um, and then we've, uh, although memory serves, because um, <laughs> I've only watched it once, and this was many years ago. Uh, but I'm sure that uh, that at the start, Danny Trejo is flying as a bat, and he gets hit by a car. I don't know if that's true, or if this is just something my mind has. Your mind is dream, because that sounds like a very crazy thing. Yeah, um, I I don't know whether it goes any more into the mythology of that whole Aztec kind of building at the back, or whether it just completely forgets that and goes, "We have not got enough money to make that set into an actual thing." Um, Yeah, um, I'm just interested. If anyone out there is neither Robert Rodriguez or um, Quentin Tarantino returned for it, Um, it's also got Robert Patrick in it as well, Um, and they and then there was a prequel. Um, which was called um, From Dust Till Dawn, Hangman's Daughter, I believe. Um, <laughs> and that that was, I, I think it was set up about what set it off or why the vampires were around. I'm not really too sure, to be honest. Um, That's, that actually sounds like a very cheap, that Hangman's Daughter, it's such a terrible title, it's, that sounds like a very cheap sequel. Whereas the second yeah, yeah. one, I, the sequel I know had, the sequel at least I know had some notable actors of kind of known, kind of, although they, the Rodriguez and Tarantino had nothing to do with it, but you, you see what I mean? Like it was yeah. some kind of following with actors of that kind of, that would be expected to be in there. Um, I mean, but, it was straight to DVD, and it, yeah, it does have, although it does have Daddy Trejo returning and Tamura Timur, Morrison. So, for those fans of uh, Boba Fett and oh, yes. clones, you can go back and watch him. Um, and then I mean, they made a series, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They had a TV from Dust of Dawn, which ran for about, I think, two series. About that. Yeah. I never watched that either. Um, so, I don't know if there's anyone out there who's got any major. Con- uh, opinions on From Dust Till Dawn where it went after this film um, but I've never really heard anything major I've heard a few people that enjoyed the TV series but I haven't heard anything major about the sequel or prequel uh, that ever made me like go oh I have to go and watch that I'm interested no. to watch it maybe the sequel I'm interested to watch I don't know so much about the prequel but I definitely <laughs> might be interested in the, the, the sequel um, I think we well, should go to our opinion on the so 
we all we ended the last one with January dumping ground kind of opinions and yeah. where do you think this kind of stands as a movie and do you think it deserves to be there? I think I started it last time, so you can give your opinion and I'll agree or disagree. <laughs> well, I if I remember correctly, last time we did this a year ago, um, I think that it didn't. It deserved to go somewhere else, but I I think yeah I think actually I think January probably was the best time to release this. I can't think when else you would have released this. I don't think it's not got enough horror to be a horror film. Um, the app is there's not enough action for it to be a summer blockbuster or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I think January is probably the best place to release it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. I feel like I'm more thinking about the way they sold it and stuff like that, and that they could have they one. It was a George Clooney on the rise, so it could have they could have just it still tried to have got it away with more of a close to a blockbustery kind of film. But it was before Clooney kind of really took off into acting yeah. films. A year or two later, and this might have been a blockbuster just for the sake of it being George Clooney and like yeah, that's yeah, it's a blockbuster. Uh, if they'd sold up the vampire side of it more then maybe yeah, it could have been more of a, a winter kind of, you know, autumn, autumn months kind of release. Um, maybe. But, yeah. but I do, I completely understand why it's in here, but it depends on the two sides of it. If we're saying the dumping ground is for kind of mediocre films, then I would say no, that this is more than just a mediocre like kind of film. It's got more there than, you know, a, a standard, sh- like... Madman, I would say, was a mediocre film that deserves to be an, in what I'd call a dumping ground kind of thing of film. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you on that. Um, and I, well, I think from both aspects, you know, if you look at marketing, I don't think, I, I think if you'd have marketed this as a straight up horror film, then I, I don't think it would have been, it would have, it, it might have done okay, but I don't think it would have been. I think it would, people would have been disappointed in it going into it expecting to get a straight horror film because it's not a scary film, you know, it doesn't have those elements to it. Um, and I can't, yeah, so it's, I think the marketing of this film, I think they would have had a, a task on their hands anyway, to be honest, because it is, it's a mix match of kind of regular things. So, I mean, in terms of quality, I think it's I think it's a good film. I think it's enjoyable. There, there's a lot about the film that I I really enjoy. But for me, most of the things that I really enjoy take place and stick in my mind particularly <clears throat> take place once they get to the titty twister. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I agree with that. That it is definitely a mix. It is definitely a hard one. It's definitely a hard one to go with. If we're saying the January part, then I think yeah, this probably would make sense. If I'm talking, if I'm splitting it into those two categories, because we kind of did last week. We said like in terms of where it would, we kind of decided Madman fitted in both of those. Yeah, like both January and because we didn't know where we'd put it, and also in terms of quality. And I'd say this one's more of a split in January. Yeah, I can like stick with that. That it could have worked. But because it was so mixed to market it, but in terms of quality, then I wouldn't say it deserves to be in any kind of dumping ground for quality of film. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah, from dust till dawn. I mean, we, well, hopefully, we've I've, made it this time. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, if you're listening to this, we did it. If you, if we not, did you'll you'll hear us referring to this lost episode in another episode <laughs> again. And maybe we just leave dust till dawn. January just isn't forever. Isn't It'll for be a curse film. We'll, we'll never touch It'll, it again. Yeah, it'll be a curse film. Um, <laughs> but um, 
well as always if you've enjoyed the show um hit the subscribe button um and leave us a lovely review it always helps um and come and let us know what you thought of uh from dust till dawn you can find us on twitter uh podcast twitter instagram and you can even now find us on TikTok. Um, yeah, at baby. CMT, yeah, TikTok, baby. At CMDH Podcast. And uh, we will see you uh, in February, where we have uh, some special episodes lined up for you. And we will see you then. There you go. Robbie plays out.